please. First of all, uh, tonight, if uh, you're here and you are not able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning and you would like to be served right now, you can make your way out to the little chapel uh, back in the foyer and somebody will take care of that for you right now. So please, please do that.
services tonight. We're glad you're here, uh, especially if you are our, our visitor, a guest tonight. Thank you for coming. I hope you'll take advantage of our Bible classes. We've got two or three that uh, you certainly can look at and uh, be a part of. And of course, we're very close to beginning a brand new quarter and uh, all the new teachers and topics for the new quarter uh, will be announced very, very soon. Uh, the elders uh, wanted announced that uh, as soon as we possibly can, we're going to start having an attended nursery. And with that in mind, I've been asked to announce that there's a sign-up sheet back there. If you're 15 years of age or older, uh, if you want to sign up to be a part of that and attend the nursery, then you are welcome to do so. As far as just some brief reminders, the Golden Circle, we're going to be going to eat breakfast tomorrow morning at the pit stop. Uh, the bus is going to leave here at 8.30. If you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. I do. Next Sunday afternoon at 3.30. That thing went out. It's all right. I got it back.
all, all of you who drive will bring your automobiles, decorate the back of your trunk, uh, bring some candy, uh, pass out to our kids. They're going to be dressed up. This is going to take place after our final classes. And this is just a good time of encouragement and education and fellowship. So plan to participate in that. I think you'll really be glad that you did. We're just keeping it here in the house. And uh, of course, we're going to be having some pizza uh, after our Bible classes. And then we'll have some costume contests and things of that nature. And so I'll feel glad to participate in that uh, next, uh, this coming uh, Sunday night. That's all the announcements that I have at this time. Uh, we bow with me in a word of prayer. We'll let the song and teach the other classes. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the day. We are mindful for all good things you do for us. We're thankful for each person here tonight. We pray that you'll bless us in our Bible study, bless each teacher, uh, bless each one of us as hearers of the Word. May we learn and adopt what we learn to our lives. Father, please be with all those that are sick, that continue to need our prayers. Please uh, help them as only you can, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way with a soul.
we have anyone whom uh, we want to put on our prayer list as we start. Yes, ma'am. So many others. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't feel right. Y'all have moved me up here. Let's, this chasm between us. Judy Tucker. Judy Tucker. Her daughter died. Terror. She was like 51 year old. Oh. COVID. She's been sick two years from COVID complications. So many things um, daily to be mindful of that we uh, take for granted that there's always someone who's hurting, always someone who is in need. But uh, we are thankful that we have that opportunity to approach God in those things. And there are so many that are already, yes, sir. Joyce, my heart, that's Joyce. Mars. Mars, yes, that's right mentioned this morning has the flu. The flu seems to be particularly uh, fierce this year. Okay. Didn't know that. Flu? Flu? Okay. I understand. Well, like I said, there's always uh, many who are who are sick. Let's let's pray. Yes, sir. Say that again. Shadona Tillman Tillman, a friend of Leanne's had a uh, stroke this week. And she's going to have to end up having two aneurysms. So they're going to have to do surgery tomorrow. Shadona Tillman. Okay. Aneurysms. That's a very aneurysm. That's a degree surgery tomorrow. She's how old? 40. Wow. Uh, that's difficult. Uh, so we need to remember her. Thank you, Jeremy. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Ma'am? Of course. Uh, continuing to, Brian, of course, continuing to recover and deal with difficulties with his foot. Brother Steve, I've got a request. Uh, my nephew. Zachary Weiner, uh, his, he, he was on drugs, his, his child got taken away from him, uh, he and his fiancée, and they have become, since all that happened, they've become members of the church, they've been Second Street, and, they, and he's getting the child back, he's got visitation rights every weekend now, and they're getting him full, full. he's supposed to get him back full time next week, so just remember them in prayer. Absolutely. Uh, that makes me, reminds me that often we, we are mindful, as we should be, of praying about things when uh, life and Satan 
cause things to go downhill, but that we just kind of forget to uh, remember that we need to pray when those things are going uphill as well. Not only thanks, but for continued strength and encouragement. Thank you. Let's, let's go to God. Most gracious Father, thank you so very, very much for the opportunity that we have to be your children. Forgive us when we fail you, for we often do. For our weakness, for our uh, lack of uh, self-control, and sometimes, Father, our lack of faith. Help us be reminded of just how precious being a child of yours is. Father, tonight as we begin our class, we think specifically about Glenn Newton and the Jim Olive family and Judy Tucker and Joyce Morris and Jody Smith and Shadona, 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 Shadona Tillman, Chopper Taylor, Brian Rowland, and Zachary Warner. Father, we, we're mindful of those who are struggling with the after effects of COVID and struggling with COVID now and with the flu and those who are recovering or dealing with loss and grief and those who are dealing with long-term recoveries and especially with Zachary Warner as he has allowed you to do exactly what you promised to not only wash his soul but recover his life and we pray that you will bless him in those efforts and in those days as he uh, takes his place as he should as a father and as a Christian. Father, as we open our Bibles tonight, I pray that you will allow us to open our hearts and be humble as we study your truth and do the things you'd have us do as we think about what your plan is to save our souls and be loyal to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we get back into our, our Bible study tonight for just a little while, we have two more Sundays, and then, oh, and that reminds me, I have placed on the welcome table in the back, uh, just as you go out this, this door here, um, the handouts, I made a handout of all five lessons, a PDF form for those that like to, I made 15 copies of that, uh, and I also put a um, clipboard if you want me to send you that PDF digitally, you can do that. I'll be glad to send that to you. Uh, I'll make more copies, but um, I did put those back there as I said I would. Tonight, as we move into lesson five, I want us to think about some uh, the Bible truth, what the Bible says, and compare that to, to some common misconceptions and error concerning God's plan for saving our eternal souls. When you talk about salvation, there isn't a single person that, to whom you uh, would talk who isn't mindful, especially, you know, if they're uh, cognizant of there being a God and they believe that there's a God and they believe there is a heaven and that there is a hell, that, of course, they want to be saved. And you could talk to 30 people about exactly what do you do? What does God do? How can I be saved and go to heaven? Now, maybe, maybe I am exaggerating, but I feel like if you talk to 30 different people, you might get 31 different ideas or 
forms of the same idea or different ideas in different forms. And, and on we could go with that. Because there are some misconceptions about that. But let me say, thank you, first of all, for being willing to open your Bibles and willing to study this topic. And to those who are listening to us or, or studying with us via our live, live stream, and to those who may listen to this a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, our goal is to not be unkind or harsh or hateful, but to be loving to other to everyone, but absolutely unswervingly loyal to what God says, to what the Bible says. And so with that in mind, this lesson is, uh, I've formatted these lessons a little differently based on the topic. So tonight's is kind of easy to follow. And I told you that uh, you're going to do a lot of reading tonight. But uh, we're going to take a little quiz. We're going to do it together. A true or false quiz to establish a foundational understanding of God's plan to save my soul, to save your soul. A true or false quiz that is, has to come from the Word of God. It, the Bible either, either says it and says it the way it says it, or it doesn't. And then I compare what I think to that, and then I, I know whether or not I'm thinking the way I should. So, number one, let's read uh, 1 Timothy, and you're welcome to turn there. But listen as we read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Right, so hold that thought. You're going to read 5 and 6 in just a minute. But notice, now does that passage say, talking about God, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? So true or false, God wants everyone to be saved. So it is a true statement if someone says, now look, uh, God, a loving God surely wants me to be saved. And the answer to that is absolutely. God wants all people to be saved. That verse proves that. So that's a true statement. Now read verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So when Paul writes that, that's reminiscent of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So with those two verses in mind, then would you, is true or false, Jesus is the only way that I can get to God. According to those passages, God wants me to be saved, and the only way for me to get there is through His Son. So number two, we'll go kind of fast because these are not very difficult. These are, all by, these are all statements that I want us to see from the Word of God. And I want you to imagine, let me back up and set the scenario for you again. I'm, I am striving, endeavoring to teach this class as though you and I are sitting across your kitchen table, sitting in your living room across from each other, and we are discussing what the Bible says about how to go to heaven, how to be saved. And you have said, well, there are some things that I have heard that I heard your preacher say that my preacher said, and they don't seem to go together. Tell me about that. So we're having this conversation. And so we began, and maybe this can help you have that very conversation with someone else. Number two, read Romans 1, 16 and 17, please. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, while that's resonating in your mind, let's read James 1 and verse 21. Wherefore we lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You know, I was just having a conversation the other day uh, about this particular, about the English language, uh, being the English teacher that I am. But the idea there, does anybody know what a superfluity is? Well, now that would be something we would certainly want. We, you know, we can't hardly live by this if we don't know what it means. Uh, some of you have had to call a plumber because you had a superfluity in your kitchen floor. Uh, it literally means, uh, Sue says, I did. I did. Yes, you did. It's an overflow. That's why the New King James or others says an, the overflow of wickedness, of naughtiness. And, and I, will, I don't want to stay long here, but that word, what's interesting, the King James was translated in 1611, same span as our, our fellow Shakespeare. And in England in that time, you know, nowadays the word naughtiness, we usually use the word naughty to refer to children, don't we? Yeah, and so it's really, you know, you wouldn't say of a, 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 a person living a, a really terrible or sinful life that they're being naughty because that's kind of a lie. But it really wasn't. If you call someone naughty on the streets of England in 1611, you call them a very, and since we're live stream, I'll be kind of careful here, uh, a very immoral person, a loose person. You understand where I'm going there? Okay. That's the reason why nowadays the word naughty, I don't mean to be crass here, but the word naughty is usually either a, loo, a light word for children or sometimes used in the sexual content because that's what that word naughty meant in that old English. Very, very, very immoral. So what did he say? Lay aside all wickedness and that overflow of immorality that's in your life and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to do what? Save your soul. So true or false, the word of God has the power to save my soul. That's according to the scripture. So God wants me to be saved. The word of God has the power to save my soul. We have said nothing so far that isn't uh, supported by scripture or found in scripture. And you and I agree on everything so far, right? See, that's how you have a Bible. That, to me, that's where you start a Bible study with someone you know with whom you're going to have a difference of thought later. Number three, let's read Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now read the next verse too if you don't care. 18 as well. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Okay, would you agree that if you're free from sin and no longer a slave to sin and now you are a servant of righteousness, then you, that is another way of describing that your soul is saved. Yes? 
Yes. Okay. So he said, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. So we just read a moment ago that God's word has the power to save. True or false, obedience to God is absolutely necessary for saving my soul. True. That passage makes it absolutely clear. God wants me to be saved. His word can save me, but my obedience is absolutely necessary for that. Okay? What are we doing? Go, let's go to Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We are looking now to establish a foundational understanding of God's plan to save souls. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he, that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who would come to God... Oh, remember, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father... Notice the, the similarity in the wording, except by me. He who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarded. Okay, faith. Now let's look at James 2. A, a little bit lengthier reading, but necessary to establish the context here or the foundation. James 2, we need to read the 14 all the way through the end of the chapter. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister, sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. When you read and consider those rhetorical questions along with those Old Testament examples, you cannot come away with any conclusion except that faith has to be obedient faith, doing faith. Obedient faith is necessary to save my soul. True or false? True. You see, not because we said it or someone else said it, but because the Bible said it and made it very clear that obedient faith is necessary. Faith is necessary, but what kind of faith? Obedient faith. Okay, number six, number five, I mean. Now, feel free to stop if you have a question or a comment, but these just kind of flow. John 8, 24 and John 3, 16. Somebody can, well, probably half of you, if not all of you, can quote John 3, 16. 
In fact, we'll do that one together. Read John 8, 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, isn't that pretty clear? If you don't believe that I am he, now in that context, the he there means God, the Son of God, from God. Except you believe that I am he, who I say I am, you will die in your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. So I must believe that Jesus is the Son of God for my soul to be saved. True or false? True. True. Now, if you're sitting there saying, now think about this for a second. You may find yourself studying with someone who has a, a, a religious background just different from yours. You may have you, you studying uh, with someone who has a, a religious knowledge but that's about it. Or you may be fi find yourself studying with someone who has no background whatsoever. But regardless of that, if that person is interested and believes that this is the Word of God, you are establishing a rapport here. Not, okay, let me make sure that we, this is not an evangelism class, but you're establishing a rapport not between you and that person with whom you're studying. God takes care of that. What you're doing here is establishing a rapport or a connection between that person and God because they're agreeing with everything God is saying. And so when they reach a point they don't agree, they're not disagreeing with you. They're disagreeing with the same God they've been agreeing with for the last several questions. And when you establish that, that's a powerful thing. Yes, ma'am. Well, that's what he says, isn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's not all you have to do. That, and that's why we're doing, and that's the reason that we're doing this, because we're saying, absolutely. Well, let's read this verse then, and we keep going. You're right. You're absolutely right. So we look at number six. And when we get to number nine, some of you are probably going to look at me funny. Uh... But we'll go all the way with it. I must, uh, well, sorry. Acts 17, 30 and 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So you look at that person and say, and I look at you and say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, then you, if, that, if yes is your answer, then you can believe that there will be a judgment day that God has appointed because that's the assurance of that. And if you believe that, then you also have to believe that God commands you now to repent, to change the way you think and the way you live from your way or the world's way or Satan's way or any other way and change it to his way. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you no, but except you repent, you will likewise perish. And he repeated it in verse 5. So, true or false, I must repent for my soul to be saved. And we talk, uh, you may talk about what repentance is. Changing the way you think, make a decision to change your way you think so that you change the way you behave. It's a decision. It's a decision. When you read Acts 8, it's always interesting to me when you read Acts 8 about the Ethiopian. We won't go there tonight. 
But someone says, uh, preacher, he didn't repent there. He didn't say, oh, yes, he did. He didn't say he did. Yes, it did. Where? When he said, uh, wait a minute, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Had he made up his mind? Yes. Had he made a decision? Yes. Okay, so he had repented. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked that question, nor would Philip have agreed to do that. Uh, okay, number seven. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, 8 through 10, and then we'll read what Jesus said on the same topic in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 32 and 33. But what saith it? The word is nigh. Let me start over. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even thy mouth and thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay. So with the heart man believes unto salvation. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whatsoever, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So true or false, I must confess Christ. Okay, time out. What are we confessing when we confess Christ? That he is the Son of God. Okay. I must wholly, totally, wholeheartedly, with complete believing, obedient faith, I have made up my mind that I believe this, and so I must confess Christ for my soul to be saved. True or false? True. So far, you may be thinking, well, Duh, all of these are kind of simple. Okay, uh, absolutely. That's right, okay. Now let's look at number eight. And here we may find uh, the, the veering point for some, but let's look at these scriptures. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so let that one sink in and hold there. Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It says that, right? Okay. Now, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk, should walk in newness of life. Read verse 5, 2. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, as, as some, that saying goes, but do I understand verse 5 is saying in order to be raised in the likeness of his resurrection, I have to be buried in the likeness of his death. Is that not what that says? So I'm united with Christ in the likeness of his death. Okay, when did he shed his blood? When he died on the cross. Okay, so when do I contact the blood of Jesus? When I'm buried in baptism. Okay, let's hold that thought. Just let that sink a minute. Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now why 
tarryest thou, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, there are many other verses that we could, could look at here, but now understand we talked about the King James in 1611 and our old friend Shakespeare, that, that, some of those wordings. Well, in 1611, when they translated the, the King James Version, they took the word from the Greek language. I know most of you have heard this before. They took the beta and the alpha and, the, uh, and they wrote it out the way it would look on paper. And a beta looks a lot like a B. And an alpha looks like an A. And a, uh, a phi looks like a P. Baptism, baptizo. So the word was immersion. So repent and be immersed, every one of you. In the, no, you're not. Don't you know that as many of us as were immersed into, uh, uh, we were immersed into the likeness of his death, that just as Christ was, oh, uh, arise and be immersed and wash away your sins. Now, wait a minute. See, understand this. When you look at that, let's think about this for a second. Uh, and I know you're going to think I'm so funny. Y'all with me? Or I'm being silly. I promise you I'm not. Does everybody nod your head if you know what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is? Okay. Now, look. And that sandwich is made up of both peanut butter and jelly. Now, that's connected. The word and connects those two. You've got them both together in the same place. Not just because when I write it on paper, just as surely as it's in between two pieces of bread together, peanut butter and jelly goes together because of the word and. And some of you are thinking, what is he talking about? Simply this, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Now, if those two things did not go together, then uh, Ananias was telling Paul to do one thing and then do another thing, and they had no connection to one another. How could he do that? He couldn't, and it would make no sense whatsoever. So true or false, I must be buried in water to contact the blood of Christ and to have my sins washed away. True. Not because... That's what we think or we believe or we've always thought. That's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture says. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Okay, with me so far? So let's, let's just kind of let that sink in a little bit. Uh, and let's look at number nine. Let's look at number nine. We're going to go all the way back in the Old Testament. And some of you might be thinking, whoa, wait a minute, what, wait, what are you talking about? But this is in the Bible. Oh, absolutely. And you better do this if you want to be saved. But we're not going to leave it hanging. Okay, Joel 2 and verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant from the Lord shall and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Ah, okay. Did y'all hear that? Joel was talking about the, the coming church age. He was talking about those who would be delivered, of course, from, from captivity. And then from that group, from whence would come the Savior, Jesus, and the apostles, and eventually the church. Right? And he said, the remnant whom the Lord will what? Call. Call. 
Did y'all hear that? Hold that thought. Acts 2 and verse 21. In the sermon, um, I started to say the Sermon on the Mount. Where did I get that? In the sermon on Pentecost, when Peter stood there and he preached that sermon before he got to verse 36, when they asked, before, uh, or verse 37, and then he said, repent and be baptized, verse 38. Notice what he says in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's what it says, isn't it? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, that's what it says, isn't it? Now look, I want us to really dig here a little deeper. Let's dig a little deeper. Okay? And let's think about this because how many of you have ever encountered someone or know someone right now who is confused or, or all you have to do is call on God to save you? And he will. Folks, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Joel said. But did you hear what he said? That's the remnant whom the Lord will call. Wait a minute. In 2 Thessalonians, and I didn't even put that one on there. In 2 Thessalonians... What I heard Ken use it the other day, and we've used it. What did Paul say? We are called by his gospel. We're called by his gospel. Wait, you mean the same gospel that's the power of God to save? The same gospel that we have obeyed, that form of doctrine? That same gospel that is the engrafted word that's able to save our souls? Yes. And what do we have to do with that? He said, you have obeyed. Oh, okay, now wait a minute. Uh, Romans 10, 13, have, we, have you read that already? I'll read that. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, well, that's what it says. And I can take that verse. Now listen, I, again, I'm being very kind, but also very loving, but also very loyal to, the, to what the Bible says. Now listen, I want you to go with me now to uh, back to Acts 22. I want everybody to turn to Acts 22, if you've got your Bible, and look at verse 16. Again, we just listened to it. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, while you're turning there, in Romans chapter 10, that was what verse 13 said. Have you ever noticed? Now, now wait a minute, listen. Then how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in him of whom they have not heard, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, now listen. When, when you are encountered with the misconception that just calling on the Lord means asking him to save you, and that's all. Just calling on the Lord is acknowledging the Lord and asking. A, and that's the verse that you get, Romans 10, 13. Because it does say that. But wait a minute. If you keep reading, the next part talks about the need for somebody to do some teaching. And then what did he say in verse 18? I'm sorry, verse 16. They have not all blank the gospel. What's it say? They have not all obeyed the gospel. Folks, if verse 13 means all you have to do is ask, then you can't disobey. He wouldn't say they haven't obeyed. So calling is not mere asking. So what is this calling he's talking about? 
Well, in Acts 22, in verse 16, I want you to notice that passage. He said, Arise, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, calling on the name of the Lord must be, that's, I'm sorry, I'm, didn't, I should have switched that, my apologies. When I look at that context, I use that context without putting it on the board, my apologies. That's synonymous with obeying the Lord. Uh, if it's not that, then everybody in this room, how many of you in here have been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? How many of you, when you came up out of the water, looked up into heaven and asked God to save you? Well, if that's what that passage means that Paul had to do, then none of you did it right. You see, the way that's worded, that's describing Paul. Paul was calling on the name of the Lord when he did what the Lord told him to do. It wasn't a verbal request. Now, okay, and now, if you're thinking, and I say this to those who, who are listening to me, if you're thinking that's just your opinion, Mr. Preacher, my opinion is worth nothing. How do you know that it means this? Well, first of all, logically, that's what Paul did. He obeyed. And Paul said, they haven't obeyed. Call on the Lord and you'll be saved. But there's many who haven't obeyed. But let's don't leave it hanging. And then we'll, we'll stop. In Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6. No, that doesn't sound right. Maybe it's Matthew 7. In the passage where Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's Matthew 7. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, that's verse 21, I believe, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Wait a minute. Not every, for many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Did you know saying in that time frame, in this culture, saying the person's name twice was a, it was like me saying, Jim, Jim, which would be weird for us. Jim would look at me like, what? It'd be the same as our shaking our hand, me shaking his hand and saying Jim instead of Mr. Estes. Because he knows me well enough that he lets me do that. To call somebody's name twice meant that you had a closer relationship with them. Remember how Jesus got Peter's attention when he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you? That got Peter's attention because Jesus did that. He, he was saying, I care about you. Listen to me. What did Jesus say? Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, not everybody who simply says my name is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who are willing to do, obey. So therefore, calling on the name of the Lord must be simply more than verbal affirmation. Yes, or request. Luke 46 is a good scripture. Sir? Luke 6.46 is a good scripture that, that backs up. What's it say? Luke 6.46. When you call me Lord, Lord, do not want the things that I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? There's, there it is again. Why do you 
call on me? Why do you claim a relationship with me? But then you what? You don't do the things I say. So calling on the name of the Lord is an obedient response to the Lord. And so when that verse says, those who call on the Lord shall be saved, that's exactly what it means. Those who call on the Lord are those who are hearing the teaching and then obeying that gospel when you read that entire context. Now, we're out of time, but we're going to, uh, I want to ask that question of you. And then next week we'll have just enough time to finish it up. Here's a question, and I ask this with complete sincerity. Can any prescription, any plan, any prayer, any precept set forth by a human being for how a person's soul is saved that deviates from what we've found to be in the Bible to be true or acceptable with God? It can't. Any prescription, any precept, prayer, any plan that deviates from what God said. So next week, I'm going to show you at least two prayers that I have gotten. I got this off the Internet. I typed into Google, tell me what to do to go to heaven, and it did. And I'm going to show you what it showed me, and we're going to talk about it. Bow with me, please. Most gracious Father, thank you so very much for allowing us to study your truth. Thank you, Father, for the power of your plan. May we always be willing to believe in your word and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week.